Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
A teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Today I want to talk to you about using objective arguments to match up with your subjective feelings in your advocacy. I think this might be my number one advocacy tip because so, so often parents come into my office and they want for me to turn things around. They think things have gone sideways in a meeting or in a discussion with their child's school. And they say to me, I need for you to say it in a different way so that they hear me. And I always say to them, when you feel like you need to stomp your feet and say, listen to me, it's time to stop. It's time to reframe the way you are saying things and maybe even have somebody else say them for you. And the way that I reframe things is I bring in objectivity. I bring in something that is a fact, not a feeling. Because far too often, parents start sentences with, I don't know, I just feel like blah, blah, blah. And I wanna tell you, I think your gut feeling really, really matters. I rely on my gut very, very often in advocacy for my own children and for other people's children, for my clients. But what I'm talking about today is relying on that gut feeling and any other subjective feelings, but then backing them up with objective information. And so that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Today's episode is a little special to me because I am 43 years old and this is our 43rd podcast. I can't believe that we are coming up on a year of podcasts with Ashley Barlow, uh, Ashley Barlow Company. So I wanna tell you that the first step to advocacy really is organization. You can't get organized. You can, I'm sorry, you can't be effective unless you are organized. You can't come up with all this objective information unless you are organized. I've done some talks, I've done some webinars, I've got a webinar coming up in the summer school series about getting organized, how to keep your binder, what to keep, what to throw out, what notes to make in your binder, all of that stuff. So the first step is getting organized so that you can access the stuff I'm gonna talk about today in an, or, in, an, in an efficient manner. So subjectivity. Parents are the experts on subjectivity. All day long, we are feeling emotions about our kids. All day long, we're brainstorming on how our kids are doing, what they're feeling, um, ways that we can improve things. We're always kind of thinking, oh, I feel like things are going this way, or I feel like things are going that way. So we 
feel things about our child's diagnoses, the impact of the diagnosis on learning, the progress that we're making towards goals, how we're doing in school kind of generally, all of those things, we're thinking subjectively. We're thinking, eh, I like it or I don't like it. I remember when Jack started a new physical therapy program, uh, this has been a few years ago, and at Cincinnati Children's, our PT department was having us do um, set goals for our children, and what we did at the beginning was we gave them two data points. I think it was a scale of one to five, and we said, okay, this is where I objectively think my child is on this particular goal right now. So in physical therapy, Jack is, um, I always like to set goals that are really functional and that are socially based. So I remember when we first um, used this new system, one of the goals that we used was dribbling a tennis ball with a tennis racket, you know, just kind of bouncing it with the racket, I think 10 times. And so they said to me, where do you think Jack is on this? Well. I knew that he could dribble the ball with the tennis racket two times and on a scale of zero to five, that's a one. And so, because it's 20% of the time. So I said, I think he's at a one. And then they said to me, where do you feel Jack is? Not objectively. How satisfied are you? What is your gut feeling? How happy are you with Jack's ability to dribble the tennis ball? Now, I hope that when children are more self-aware and when we are talking about adults, that they self-rate themselves also or in addition to their caregivers. Um, I never asked that, but I do hope that that's true. Um, and it's funny because every single goal that we set, my satisfaction was exactly what I said objectively because that's how I work. I am an attorney. I think objectively. I have to rely on the objective data, the facts, and making my arguments. And so they said, how satisfied are you with Jack's ability to dribble the tennis ball 10 times with a tennis racket? And I said one, because on a scale of one to five, he can objectively do it one time, 20% of the time. And so I am 20% satisfied. Now here's what's interesting. We went back, I don't know how often we evaluated that, but like, I don't know, maybe every six or three months, quarterly or every half year or something like that. And um, we then evaluated where we thought Jack was, you know, after we had worked on these goals, after we had done the exercises and the activities and that kind of stuff. And the and we set new goals. Some of them we just upped the ante and of course, some of them we said, okay, we've met that goal, let's move on to something different. When I was giving both my objective information and my subjective information, I had to say to the PT, I want for you to mark down that the sun's out, I just went to the pool and I am extraordinarily happy today. Because I felt like I hadn't gone back and looked at the data before the meeting and I felt like everything was skewed because I was just happy. So what would have been a one in January, all of a sudden now we're in July, and I'm giving it a four because I'm happy. I'm like, oh yeah, it's great. He's doing great at tennis. But I hadn't gone back and looked at that objective data before I answered anything. And so I said, write it down and say that I'm happy because I need to know um, 
you know, if I come back to this and he's had some kind of regression, I need to know that this was just purely based on my emotion. And that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid advocacy, arguments that are based truly on emotion or purely on emotion. We've got to move past that because nobody really cares. The school's obligation is not to make decisions based on a parent's emotion. They need to make decisions in collaboration with the IEP team based on objective data. And so what we have to do is we have to speak objectively. Let me give you a couple of different examples about objective information and subjective information. Okay, so the subjective might start with, I feel like blah, blah, blah. I feel like my son is doing this well, or I feel like my son is not doing this well. And the objective information, I think you could think of that like a picture is worth a thousand words. When we're actually just looking at, well, how did she do on that? That's when we get to the objective information. What are the patterns? Once we can boil something down to patterns, we can actually get somewhere. So here's three examples. What about if a parent said, I think placement should be in a general education classroom. I think we should have more inclusion. I think we should be with our gen ed peers more often. Now this can look lots of different ways, right? Like I wanna be in gen ed for um, special area classes, or I wanna be in gen ed full time, you know, whatever it looks like, let's say it's this inclusion kind of argument. Well, sure, we could say that a thousand different ways. I feel like I know inclusion's good. I know that he would do better with inclusion. I know in my gut that inclusion is the right answer. That's all subjective. Tell me why. Give me examples. So what could we bring in that is objective? First of all, you could bring in data. You could bring in progress monitoring of your child in an inclusive environment. Sometimes when we're kind of exploring something more inclusive, I will have school take four or six weeks and I'll have them run data in an inclusive environment and data on the same goal, same instruction, same, um, same child, but in a more restrictive environment. Because I want to know what's the data look like in these two different settings. So we could bring in progress monitoring, specifically data from an inclusive environment. So what's that look like? It looks like you would have to have your child in an inclusive environment someplace outside of school. So how's your child doing at outside sports, at church school, at tutoring, if that's in an inclusive environment? At, um, lots of times preschools are inclusive. So how did things look in preschool? Pull the data and prove with the data that things go well in an inclusive environment. You could also pull videos of your child working collaboratively or working well, working efficiently, working positively, however it looks, in an inclusive environment. Maybe you want to show that your child uses the, um, their, their non-disabled peers as positive role models. So you might wanna show a little video snippet of your child sitting at, um, you know, something that we all do, like the, the 
um, dining room table and you don't know which fork to use, well, you look at the person across the table from you and you see what fork they pick up. And then you're like, oh, I'm gonna use that person as a role model. If they're wrong, at least two of us are wrong, right? And so you look at your child, you take a little video snippet of your child peeking over, oh, that child's doing this, I'm going to emulate that behavior. And that way you've got a video that says, my child will use the other children in that inclusive environment as a positive role model. And you've got a video. Remember, pictures are worth a thousand words. That's not you just saying it, that is you showing it with something positive. The last way to do this objectively, not the last way, the last way I'm gonna talk about, there's thousands of ways to do it, but the last thing I'm going to talk about today is using research. Pull a couple of articles from someplace that seems reputable. Find a university that seems like they do a lot of research on inclusive practices. Find a professional, read a book, pull a couple of quotes from the book, explain something, give them an excerpt. Give the school something that says, my child should benefit from this research. If you use that kind of objectivity, you're going to have a lot more pool behind your argument than just saying, I feel like an inclusive environment is better. Okay, example number two. Oh, she's just not reading very fluently. I sit by her, I hear her reading, I hear her reading to her dad, I hear her reading to her siblings, I hear her reading to herself, and it's just not fluent. I get this one all the time. Reading is just not fluent. Well, I say, how do you know? Well, I hear her. Okay, but where's the data? You know that you can measure this, right? And so let's measure it. Let's look at it. Okay, here's my out of special ed example of this. God bless me, I started running. Don't get too excited. Don't look for me to be running any marathons. I love to swim, as you probably know. Um, I ride my bike for cardiovascular stuff, and so I have done one triathlon. I did it before COVID. I would like to do one a summer for a little while, and so I talked my PT into letting me run just a little bit. So how do I know if I'm getting better in my running? Well, I wear an Apple Watch, and my Apple Watch tells me my pace, my steps per minute, which I really don't care about, my heart rate, and my distance. And so I can look at those things and see if I've run a little bit further every day. See if my heart rate, if I'm able to maintain my heart rate consistently throughout the race, to, or the, the run, believe me, it's not a race. In fact, I just got back from the Olympic trials with my son. We went out to watch a few days of the Olympic trials and swimming, and he pointed out that Katie Ledecky can almost swim a mile faster than I can run it. Thank you very much. So I look at my watch for that data. Maybe in school it would be, you know what? I can do this. I can hang with the big dog, so I should make the varsity team. You don't know what you're using the data for, but I'm tracking it. I'm tracking it because it tells me that I'm doing better. The data gives me objective feedback and I use that objective feedback to then make corrections or to push myself a little bit harder. So we need that kind of objectivity when we address this mm, 
my kid just isn't reading fluently kind of issue. And so what are we gonna do? Well, friends, I'll tell you, there are fluency tests that you can print off on the internet. If you type into Google, reading fluency second grade, you will find a lot of reading fluency assessments. You can find them for free. You put them in front of your child, you say, read this, and you follow the instructions. So you could print off a couple of those. And you could get a couple and say, this is what it's looking like at home. You might video it because school might say, well, did you do this and this and this? Yep, I sure did. I did it and here's the video proof. Here's the documentary kind of evidence that says I'm not seeing the kind of fluency that you're seeing. You also need to make sure that you look at the school's data and you can compare and contrast what you're getting at home and what the school is getting and ask questions about it. Really get in deep into the school's data. You probably, if you are this concerned about reading, have somebody else working with your child, a tutor or some, you know, peer tutor or somebody else at a center or something. And so you might ask them for their data and see how that matches up and use that in your discussion. You know, I don't think that they're reading fluently unless they have um, some kind of multi-sensory break before they read. Look at the reading, just flat, dry read, and now look at the reading after the child is on the stability ball for seven minutes. We might be comparing it that way. We're using the data to make our argument. The data does it for you, it's incredible. So we're using evidentiary, objective proof. We're using that fluency assessment. We're using the school's data. We're using outside data. We're using video evidence. We're using something that tells the story. Okay, third example. I feel like my child needs more support at fill it out lunch. You know, maybe you're looking for a one-on-one -on -one aid. And so I feel like my child needs more support here. Maybe it's lunch and it feels dangerous to be eating lunch alone without one-on-one -on -one adult support. I just feel like it. I'm scared. I, I, here's my concern and I want for you to fix it. Well, guess what? School doesn't have an obligation to fix your concern unless there is a reason. And so our jobs as parents is to give that objective reason. And so you might start off with a log. Here's a log of the support that we've given the child during mealtime this week. And your log is going to show that you walked over to um, load the dishwasher and um, your child couldn't open their apple juice box and so your child sat there for seven minutes with the apple juice in front of them and didn't ask for somebody to help. You know, so we've got this kind of information. It is a log. It's not just you telling stories. It is a very specific objective log. It could be something more dangerous like choking or aspirating or something like that. You're taking the data over a certain finite period of time. So when there's good support, there's a good outcome. When there's bad support, there's a bad outcome. I bet your data is going to show that if this is what you are feeling in your gut. You might also go in with an objective list of things that where the child might need support. 
You know, I remember when I was asking for a one-on-one -on -one aid, Jack was really a safety risk. He was very impulsive and he didn't know dangers. And so I made a list, you know, he doesn't know about the holes on the playground. He doesn't know about the heights on the playground. He doesn't know about sharp objects that would be around at lunch or the scissors. Here's school supplies that could be dangerous to him. He might um, hurt another peer because he might just shove in front of him and line for the slide on the playground. You know, I made a list and I said, here are the safety concerns the reasons why and i have witnessed every one of these in real life right and if i if i gotta show you video proof in order to hammer it in i can layer that on also you might want to model supports that your child might need so you might show a little video again of here's my child at the playground without supports here's my child at the playground with supports here's eating without supports Here's eating with supports. You know, a two minute video can provide a lot, a lot of insight. And again, a picture is worth a thousand words. So we're not only saying this is what I feel in my gut, that subjectivity, but we're saying why with objective data. And this will carry your advocacy to the next level. Remember that objective data can be found in the paperwork. So it's really important for parents to understand how to read the school's paperwork, how to read the school's progress monitoring, those evaluation reports, what to do with those things. That would be an excellent thing for you to study, for you to research, for you to learn over this summer holiday. Because you've got to know it, you've got to understand it in order to then understand how your child's strengths and weaknesses are affecting your child's learning. So a few key takeaways. Know how to read the school's data. Keep progress monitoring, journals, logs, videos, all of that self, your all of that stuff yourself. And keep relationships with people in your community. Tutors, therapists, um, coaches, sponsors, all of those folks, because those folks could then become people that weigh in on these discussions. And ultimately, if you have to go to due process, those might be your expert witnesses. In addition to that, those people provide wonderful parent support, and we all know that we need that parent support constantly and consistently. I do want to invite you to attend my summer school webinar series. We start next Monday, which is June 28th. We're meeting at lunch every day. I've got four webinars coming for you from Monday to Thursday next week. We are talking more in depth about this objectivity concept. We're talking more about how to keep records, how to read evaluation reports, how to read progress monitoring data, etc. So if that's somewhere where you feel like you need some support, tune in to the webinar series. And if you can't watch them live, no big deal. I will record them and send them out to the entire email list, anybody that's registered, right after it downloads and we're finished. I will see you next week, same time, same place, for another episode of Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow.